when things unseen felt the spiritual pulse of the nation in a large-scale survey last year, one of the striking things that emerged was just how many people believe in healing methods which are set apart from conventional medicine and have a spiritual or faith element. Two in five of us think that prayer can heal. More than one in ten have visited a spiritual or faith healer and sizable minorities have experienced healing methods like reflexology, Reiki or healing with crystals. I'm Nelifah Hidayat and in this edition of Things Unseen, I'll be exploring two very specific forms of faith-based alternative medicine. One is medicine rooted in Islamic practice. The other is Ayurveda, which comes from South Asia and has been influenced by both Hinduism and Buddhism. Traditional Islamic medicine is something I've known about since I was a child. Visiting my aunties and friends' homes and watching them practice cupping or hijama, which involves using cups made from glass or plastic to create a suction on the skin to draw blood to the surface. I've tried it myself, administered by one of my closest friends in her bedroom. For this programme, I'm going to put cupping and Ayurveda under the microscope and look behind the scenes of this kind of medicine, asking why people turn to it, what it can and can't achieve, and what the critics say. I've come to the Hijama Complementary Clinic in Edgware Road in London, which specialises in Islamic holistic medicine. In front of me is a chair with a headrest, armrest, and a gentleman in his 20s is sitting on it with his back exposed. Just getting ready to work on him is Ashik Hussain, an Islamic complementary practitioner. Ashik, you've got some equipment lined up there. Just talk me through briefly what it is that you're going to be doing. Basically what we'll be doing first is we're going to apply black seed oil to cleanse the surface of the skin. This is basically like a infection controller. Give it a little rub and then once we've done that then we're going to apply the hijama cups on the body. These are disposable cups. Let's see you do it. So now the skin is oiled. We're going to apply hijama cups onto the body. So what's happening now? What we're trying to do is to create a suction. So we're putting a pump on and we're going to create a little vacuum and that will bring the skin surface to the top. So the cup has been placed on top of the skin, a vacuum has been created and now the skin is going to be sucked up into the cup. Exactly. Can you just tell me a little bit about how you choose the places on the back? They're known as the sunnah points. Like, uh, for example, this point here is a good detox point. And that, the point that you're showing us is just at the bottom of the neck. This point was done by the Prophet It's mentioned in the Hadith. Hadith is the saying of the Prophet it's almost like instructions or guidance of what the Prophet of Islam, Muhammad وسلم, has done. Yes. So, in accordance with what the Prophet has done is what you're kind of replicating here. Yes, exactly. The angel Jibreel approached him and was told, O oh, Prophet of Allah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has sent you the gift to give to your ummah and that gift is Al-Hijama, which means cupping. And then the Prophet وسلم, instructed one of the barbers how to perform hijama, etc. And then the Prophet وسلم, had it done on themselves. Now, what I'm seeing here is quite striking because the skin colour underneath the cup, underneath the vacuum you've created, is turning 
almost bright red. Yes. It's almost like a hickey, you know, like as though yeah. the skin's been pulled up. What's happening now is the blood that's coming up to the surface of the skin, that's your sort of dirty blood where the toxins are, etc. So what's next? Basically, I've taken the cup off. There's a little bruise there now. We're going to get the sterile disposable blade. We don't do anything deep. You're just scratching the surface of the skin. Okay, here we go. You're going in with the scalpel. You've made the incisions. The back's got lots of little cuts. Yeah. And what are you doing now? Now I've put the cup back on again, and now I'm creating a suction. And what's going to happen, the toxins of the body will start coming out, as you can see. Well, the blood is flowing quite freely now. Yeah. Let's just talk to the patient who's having the cupping done. Can you just tell us your name and what it is that you do? My name's uh, Adil Anwar. I'm a professional boxer based in Leeds, fighting at a welterweight and hopefully getting ready for a title fight coming up soon. As an athlete, I, I have to train all the time and you want to cleanse yourself and it's like a detox for your whole body. I've had a couple of injuries on my legs that I got cupping done there and it has helped, you know, just uh, release the tension from that area. What's wrong with a massage or reflexology or, you know, going to a physio? Why no, this? This I, is so extreme. I do, I do, I do get sports massage, deep tissue massage, and this was something different, to be honest with you. You know, after hearing the benefits of it and the stories, obviously, of the Prophet having it done, I thought to myself, I thought, why not? Obviously, as long as it's a professional setup. How important is it to believe that it works for it to work? If it's something that's been sent down as a message by the Prophet ﷺ, then, you know, it's something that is of benefit to us because the Prophet wouldn't do it or wouldn't have it done if it was no benefit to us. I'm going to stop you right there because the cup on your back has been removed, the blood's been removed, and it's not like any blood I've ever seen. It's almost like jelly. It's very strange. So why is it that kind of very bright red but very jelly-like consistency? You're calling it jelly, I call it like chicken liver. Oh. <laughs> Basically, it's a clot. That's the toxins. So if you've had a bad diet, smoking, alcohol, etc., even medicine, that starts to build up. So basically what happens is the toxins come up to the surface of the skin and they come out. Okay, but is there any evidence to suggest that what you do actually is beneficial? There's no scientific research at this moment in time. So what we've done, alhamdulillah, is we're sitting down with NHS to get more people. Sorry, you want to get cupping, what I've just seen, into the NHS? Yes. We're sitting down with two universities at the moment, I can't mention the name, that specialise in complementary health research. We've already started this. We've got asthma sufferers, we've got arthritis sufferers, and we've got people that suffer from sciatic pain, diabetes patients. So what we're trying to do is get a thousand patients in particular illnesses and do research on that over the 10 year period. There is the threat that a lot of people who are devout Muslims might come to you and assume that cupping is going to treat their arthritis, their diabetes, their chronic back pain, and therefore avoid conventional medicine and not take their tablets. That's a big risk, isn't it? That's a massive risk and we don't recommend that to anybody. We always tell the patient if they have got a particular illness, you must go to your doctors and see the modern conventional treatment for what's going on. This is a complementary therapy. Complementary is a slow process. Do you want another glove? Yeah. 
I'm now back in the Things Unseen studio and Ashik Hussain has come with me to discuss faith-based alternative medicines further together with two other guests. Vijay Murthy, a medical doctor and Ayurvedic practitioner and David Cahoon, Emeritus Professor of Pharmacology at University College London and an outspoken critic when it comes to alternative and complementary medicine irrespective of which faith. David, we'll start with you. What are your thoughts on practices like cupping, especially if we think about the cupping that involves kind of incisions into the skin? Cupping is pure make-believe. I mean, who could ever imagine that sticking cups on your back could do any good? It's untested. There's not the slightest reason to think that it'll work, and it almost certainly doesn't work. Why should it? They talk about drawing out toxins, but what toxins? Nobody's ever measured any of them. It's, it's really just all made-up nonsense, I'm afraid. Why can't it work? Well, why can't it work? That's a impossible question to answer. Medicine is quite unlike religion, say, in religion. It's untestable, so you believe it or you don't believe it. But medicine's quite different. You can test whether things work, and you jolly well ought to. It's irresponsible, in my view, to sell things which haven't been properly tested and sometimes quite dangerous as well. Vijay Murthy, you are both a trained medical practitioner and do practice in faith-based medicine. Can you just start off by telling me what Ayurvedic medicine is? Ayurveda is an alternative healthcare system which has a positive conception about health as opposed to the negative conception, which is what forms the basis of medicine. Treating illnesses forms the basis of medicine, which is extremely essential. However, Ayurveda takes into consideration one's digestion, metabolism, psychological makeup, health values, and inclination towards health behavior. So therefore, it gives a holistic model to enable a person to be taking charge of their health. What I'm getting from what you're describing is that it's an approach that's both physical and mental. Can you just outline that for me? Yes. From an Ayurvedic perspective, you do not look at an individual as some of different parts. You look at a person as a, a holistic individual, so where the body and mind, they interact together. Therefore, healthy behavior is extremely important besides effective medication. Can you give us just a couple of examples of the sorts of things that you practice? Mostly, I use mind-body medicine, such as proper breathing technique or how to manage stress, how to identify stress, and therefore to prevent risks, such as you know people who indulge in excessive eating or eating wrong types of things. But what does that have to do with religion? How is that drawn from the faith of Hinduism and Buddhism? It's interesting because Ayurveda is a traditional healthcare system that originated in India, although at the time that it originated 5,000 years ago, they considered the possible metaphysical aspects that were existent then, but then later it was influenced by Hinduism and then by Buddhism as the political scenario within India changed over the last 5,000 years. David, did you want to come in on that? Yes, much of what you said was not really any different from what's done now in cases where there is nothing much that medicine can do. The problem is that there are enormous areas, take low back pain, for example, just one, where regular medicine can't really do very much. And that's when people get desperate and they go off to some sort of 
quackery or other. And it's nice if you can talk to them nicely and, and tell them not to eat too much. But, you know, any, any regular doctor will tell them that. There's nothing specially Ayurvedic about that. Ashik, this morning I was at your practice. I saw you performing cupping and the person we spoke to was very happy with it. But David here is suggesting that actually it's almost like a placebo. It works because people want it to work. When you're doing hijab on the body, you're eliminating toxins from the body. What toxins, toxins are these? Are Maybe bad diet. You've been having too many fatty foods. Uh, it could be taking normal medicine. You but might what have is a... the toxin that we're talking toxins about? Toxins is an illness that's inside the body system. But, but toxins in the form of, you know, what harmful substances are you bringing to the surface? We're bringing out the, the harmful substances, that bad chemicals inside the system. The blood that basically comes under the beneath the skin, that's the illness that we believe is rising up to the skin. David? This is sort of positively medieval bloodletting uh, in origin, sort of astrology. When you were asked very reasonably what these toxins were, you were completely unable to answer, and that's because no one's ever investigated it. It is really just made-up stuff, I'm afraid. It isn't made-up stuff, David. You're wrong there. I totally agree. There has not been any research in this. That's why BHMC, the British Islamic Holistic Medical Council, they're starting the research on this because there's never been any research. It's an ancient treatment that's been happening at the time of the Prophet peace be upon him, and before that the Chinese were practicing it. So what we're doing now with the NHS, with the BHMC, is to create research, whether it's through arthritis, whether it's through asthma, and that research obviously is going to take time, we've got another 80 years to go. David, they're quite bold claims to make cure and treatment for arthritis, for diabetes, but if it's been happening for over 5,000 years, there's something in it, surely? <laughs> well, no, 5,000 years, people knew nothing at all about physiology or medicine, and they just got ill and they died. And uh, I don't suppose any of these things made the slightest difference. And in the case of the Chinese medicine, it's in any case quite a myth that it's 3,000 years old. That's what you're told. Actually, Chinese medicine practice now is an invention of the post-war communist government, Mao Zedong. It was dead in the 19th century. A Chinese emperor actually banned acupuncture as superstitious nonsense in 1822 until the great proletarian revolution when Mao Zedong, who didn't believe in it himself, but he revived it as a sort of way of whipping up just, nationalism. if I just bring you back to the idea of faith-based medicine, in which there's clearly, from what both Vijay and Ashik have been saying, there's a connection between both the mental and spiritual self and the physical self. And if it's been happening for over 5,000 years, there's something to it, is there not? There's a level of belief involved in there, is there not? There may be a level of belief. That certainly doesn't mean anything works. Vijay? I think the danger is in the use of language. For me, toxins, the moment you use the word toxins, we would need to actually argue the term by the standards of what we today medically understand as toxins. However, when you look at cultural-based systems of healthcare, there is medicine as part of it, but a large portion of it is really about well-being. There is a role for some of the things that we have learned through practice-based evidence, through cultures and history, if they are methodically adopted into our current medical model, we stand better chances of addressing our current health issues than medicalizing the whole society. So has Western medicine got it wrong in that it's treating a certain part of the body and not focusing on the mind? Is that where it's going wrong? I don't think Western medicine has got it wrong. Western medicine focuses on one aspect of healthcare, whilst 
the health of any society or individual is not just dependent on that. David, can we learn a thing or two in Western medicine from faith-based medicine? Well, some of these ideas have been tested. I mean, prayer, in particular, has been taken quite seriously. It makes not the slightest difference to your survival of cancer, whether you pray or somebody prays for you. It's been tested empirically. It doesn't work. It does no harm. Maybe it makes people feel a bit more cheerful if they like that sort of thing, but it doesn't cure anything. Ashik. How important is belief in the practice to the success of the practice? The belief is very important. As a Muslim, we believe that the Muhammad, peace be upon him, prescribed hijama as a complementary health, as a gift by the Almighty God. And how do you know that? We know that because it's in the scriptures, it's in the holy text. So we believe that it does work. And I'm not just saying as a Muslim, we've got non-Muslims who come for these treatments. You've got people like Victoria Beckham. You've got all the celebrities that are not Muslims, that don't follow any faith, and they have it done and it works for them. David? I don't think quoting air-headed celebrities is a very good endorsement, very good system of deciding what works in medicine. That's an example of just a high-profile person. But if other people who aren't of the faith are using it and saying it does work for them, does that not kind of put your argument into jeopardy? It's actually very difficult to tell whether a treatment works. I don't even think placebo effects are nearly as important as they are frequently reckoned to be. Take acupuncture, for example. You can compare a non-blind comparison between acupuncture and no acupuncture. The person knows they're getting this theatrical ritual and they feel a bit better, but actually it's a fairly trivial amount better, 10 points on a 100-point pain scale, for example, that's barely perceptible to the patient. Mostly what happens is that you go for your treatment when you're at your worst, the next day you feel better, and you attribute it to the treatment when you would have felt better anyway, because these things all fluctuate. I think, you know, for me as a practitioner, I see my patients every day and I kind of see the changes in them. And that's what actually has interested me, not just to consider efficacy studies, which is what David is largely talking about is, you know, can we say that an intervention or an agent A works on a condition B and we are able to produce result C? However, efficacy is not the same as effectiveness. Effectiveness is what really works in the real world. But can you really claim in your practice to cure things? I mean, that's such a bold thing to say. Essentially, you're not doing anything but sort of either eating differently or thinking differently. How can you possibly purport to cure illnesses? That I completely agree that making claims of cure or actually using misleading terminology in complementary and alternative practitioners' advertisement or the way they talk to their patients is definitely a huge unethical issue that we are facing today. But if you're not curing, then what are you doing? Coming to prevention, if I focus on a positive approach to wellness, then I'm not living a fear-based life. I will be taking into account what I eat, my choices, and how I live, how I respond to it. So I develop a relationship with my body and my mind, which is going to empower me in a way that a fear-based approach will not. If you're ill, you want to be cured. If you can't cure things, then you shouldn't be calling it medicine, in my view. Well, then you can't cure Crohn's disease, you can't cure diabetes. Does that mean that we should stop taking our tablets? 
Oh, no, no. Of course, as I said earlier, the thing that drives people into the hands of what I would call quackery is simply that there are many things that conventional medicine can't do. But if people are in that situation and conventional medicine can't cure them or they can't afford those drugs or there are socioeconomic reasons for it, then what is the harm in alternative faith-based medicine? I, I don't mind it. I regard it as a sort of voluntary tax on the gullible, as long as they don't lie about it. I mean, you know, there's homeopaths claim they can cure malaria, and that's wicked, and it's, it's homicidal indeed. In Australia, homeopaths have been jailed for manslaughter for, for making claims like that. Then it becomes wicked. But otherwise, it's just a voluntary tax on the gullible. If it makes you feel happy, you pay. Ashik, are the people <laughs> that come to you gullible? No, they're not. I just want to go back on what David said, that if the treatment that Ayurvedic people are doing or complementary and it's not working while you're doing it, why is it that cancer patients are not getting cured and you're still practicing treatments on them such as chemotherapy? Why is it that people with diabetes not getting cured and but you're still giving them medicines? Why do you stop doing that then? Do you object to the use of insulin for diabetics then? No, I don't object to it. To put the question back to you, you know, if something like chemotherapy isn't effective, do you believe it to be effective? As effect- because uh, I don't, if for many sorts notes. of cancer, it's not. There's, there's different sorts of so cancer. So why do for, we still For example, there have been huge advantages in, in breast cancer, for example, which can be treated rationally. Recovery rate is much better than it used to be. For pancreatic cancer, there's been essentially zero progress. And chemotherapy is not very effective. It's just that all that we know. In that case, how different is believing that chemotherapy is going to work for you if you've got pancreatic cancer to believing that cupping is going to work for you? It seems to be that they both require faith. No, there are numbers for chemotherapy and the numbers are not very good ones, it's true. But it's been looked at quite carefully over quite a long time now. Whereas cupping hasn't been looked at at all. If cupping hasn't been tested or looked at at all, and you're making claims, as you were earlier, that you're able to cure things like arthritis or diabetes, is it gullible people who are being exploited here? No, no. We don't mislead people that guarantee them that this is going to work. Because if you believe in it and you've got that mentality that, yes, this will cure me, it does work for you. you Where's know? your proof though, Ashik? How proof, can you We are prove doing this? that. We can't prove that. That's why we're doing the research. And research has never taken place. So people have to be patient whilst this research is taking place because it's a 10-year research that we're doing. And like I said, we've got another eight years to go. We've just started it two years ago. Ashok, if after eight years it comes out that the cupping is actually not something that works, does that mean that you'll stop practising it? No, because it's a religious thing. I just can't get that. It won't work. It's impossible. It has to work. It's been carrying on for over 5,000 years. But if in eight years' time, just to reiterate, if in eight years' time after your research is finished cupping is proved to be ineffective, would you stop practising? We'll stop practising, full stop. But that won't happen. I'm sure that will not happen. Right, well, we'll hold you to that in eight years. <laughs> Sorry, David, did you want to come it's in on that? It's a rather curious sort of research, since you seem to have already made up your mind what the answer will be. If it is proven in eight years, David, that actually it is something that in a way is effective, what will that mean for sort of conventional Western medicine and, and people like yourself who are sceptics? I'd be delighted if any of these things work. In fact, the National Center for Complementary and Alternative Medicine in the USA has spent billions of dollars of US taxpayers' money investigating complementary medicines in, what, 12 or 15 years since they were started up, they haven't found a single thing that works. What they have done is shown us a lot of implausible things don't work, which is quite useful to know. Ashik Hussain, how important is regulation 
and the lack thereof, actually, when it comes to faith-based complementary medicine. At the moment in UK, there isn't much law on complementary medicine. It's important that we do have regulations on this. Most importantly, the patients must be safe. We need to make sure that the practitioners, complementary practitioners, are qualified, are registered, and stick to the code of ethics that the complementary bodies have in place. David Cohn. The regulation of medicines is largely the responsibility of the medicines and health regulatory authorities who issue regular warnings, it must be said, about Ayurvedic herbs that turn out to be contaminated with arsenic and lead and mercury and all sorts of things in some cases. There are other laws as well that regulate these things. The Consumer Protection Regulations 2008 make it illegal to claim to cure things without having good evidence. Uh, The trouble is those laws aren't enforced at all. If you enforce the law, the problem would be solved. For Jim Methy, in Ayurvedic medicine, there is things like arsenic. There are quite harmful things in them. How important is regulation in terms of eliminating those really, really dangerous things being there? Regulation is absolutely important. The problem is not if people go and seek help from a qualified and registered Ayurvedic practitioner. They would be trained not to use herbs which have been shown to have those toxicities. The problem is when they go online and buy anything which is called Ayurvedic. Thank you to Vijay Murphy, Asha Kusain and David Cahoon. I'm Nelifa Hadayat, and you've been listening to Things Unseen, the programme for people of all faiths and none who think there's more to life than the material world. Things Unseen was brought to you by CTVC. And you can hear this programme again and find other editions of Things Unseen at www.thingsunseen.co.uk.